All right, good morning. Well, I'll just give you some good news. We're already going to have to be flexible and go with plan B. And so hopefully everybody got, or at least most people got a handout because we're going to have to probably refer to this at least for outlining purposes. And uh, is there a music stand? Is it, you got a music stand over there anywhere? Or I could probably just use this chair. Do we have one? Do we have a music stand in the house? Do we have a, okay. If not, I'll just go ahead and improvise up here on the, um, on the chair. And, um, um, I have been looking forward to this uh, ever since uh, Lewis first um, gave me a little uh, heads up on this. And then, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, gave me a heads up on this and um, then got a chance to visit with uh, Mark about it. And uh, I have been really, really looking forward to this. And uh, not because this is my specialty or because this is my area of expertise. Uh, in fact, uh, oh great, here comes one right here. So guys, if I could get you to help me out here, we found one. Thanks. Thanks, Howard. Appreciate it. But I do appreciate Philip working so hard on this, and he's the one also that was responsible when I got the, uh, the, when I got the, uh, the outline, uh, sent to him last night. He got that taken care of. But I do really appreciate, uh, Philip. Uh, they're not laughing at you. They're laughing at this music stand. So here, but uh, anyways, um, needle. <laughs> Wait a minute. This isn't April, is it? What are you guys doing? I think we're going to have to still go with Plan B. This one I think is a little bit sick and needy. <laughs> and now my battery pack is coming off here. Uh, no, I, I, you know what? I didn't even watch football yesterday. I don't even know. Did the Raiders win? Okay. Uh, that's what the whole joke. On advice of counsel, stay with this. I will. I will stay with this. That's right. Yeah, that's right. In fact, I got a lot more room on this one so I can just spread out everything. This is great. There we go. Thanks, guys. I do appreciate it. Anyways, um, so when I ask about Revelation, uh, this is a book that I'll just be really honest with you, um, has been a book that I have always been very, very, very cautious about. Now, I will tell you out, out front that I have my own opinion just like anybody else. I have my own opinion how it's all going to work out. But I'm not going to tell you which one that is. And here's why. Because I believe that the book of Revelation and going through and studying the book of Revelation and the, the end times can be one of the most divisive things among Christians. And so my hope today is to open up as many can of worms as I possibly can for Mark to then come back and to close all those cans and give you... No, not really. No, what I want to be able to do is, for years, especially being a Baptist, and not, not all of you have come from uh, Baptist uh, backgrounds. I understand that. And, uh, but if you have, or if you've been around for any length of time, you know that Baptists, uh, for years, it's not so prevalent now. We're, we don't get in the news and in the newspapers quite as much as we used to years ago. But for about a 20-year period, there was a major battle going on within the Southern Baptist Convention. And one of those things was you had moderates on one side, conservatives on the other, and you would have people that were conservative theologically but moderate politically as far as within the convention. Then you had others that were, you know, more moderate politically, but they would line up with the other side, you know, uh, theologically. It was just, it was just a really very, very confusing. And, but let me say this is that I do, I am one that do, do believe that there was a change that was needed because we had some real problems theologically even within the Southern Baptist Convention, and some of the things that were being taught in our colleges and our universities and our, and our seminaries. Okay, so, uh, but, but that's all I'm going to say about that. But in the midst of this, what was so uh, sometimes discouraging is that these lines were drawn in the sand in determining whether or not somebody was a quote-unquote liberal or conservative, theologically I'm talking about, uh, and, and sometimes those lines would get kind of blurred. For instance, one of the, the basic tests is, if you're conservative, you take the Bible literally. Okay? And listen, I believe that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. I do not believe the Bible has any errors in it. I don't believe that it contradicts itself. I believe that it's only a matter of us understanding 
what the Scripture says. But I don't believe that there's any errors in the Bible, so I'll just go ahead and set that out there. And if you force me to take a label, which, you know, I don't really necessarily like to do that, but if you force me to take a label, I am a conservative. I'm, I'm very, very conservative. And in fact, in some portions, you know, I'd probably scare you in how conservative I really am. But when you come to the book of Revelation and you begin to see the symbolism in there, and when you start looking at the... And you have to take the, the whole counsel of God. You can't just read one portion of Revelation and think, okay, I've got an idea, this is how it's all going to turn out. You've got to go back into Daniel. You've got to go into Ezekiel. You've got to go to Matthew chapter 24. You've got to go in 25. You've got to go then and look at, 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 at chapters 18, 19, and 20 in Revelation. And then you, you also see in the first three chapters of four, uh, the first three chapters of Revelation where it had to have been talking to seven churches in that day. So what part then becomes future? What part is it in the past? What part was for the, 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 in the day of John and all that? So you've got to look at the whole counsel of God. But what you'll find right away, even for those uh, who take, who have a particular view of the end times that would, that they say, now, because this is the view that we have because we take a literal view of the Bible. There's no way that you can even look at the language that is used and look at it literally. Because if you will, just go ahead and open it to Revelation if you're not already there and, and see what I mean. Whenever in the very first chapter, John has this encounter with the Son of God, Jesus, look what he says. Verse 12, or actually verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which by the way, that's interesting right there where he says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation. That's kind of important, but... Again, we're not going to get into that too deeply, but just make a little mental note of that. And kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that I was, that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching at his feet and girded across his breast and girded, uh, and a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white, like wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it had been caused to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in his strength. We'll just stop right there. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to take that literally, that's going to scare the bajugis out of me when I get to heaven and I start seeing creatures like that. Somebody opens up their mouth and a sword comes right out at me. Well, now, obviously... We know he's talking symbolically and he's talking about, and if you remember, if you hearken back to uh, the book of Hebrews where he says that the word of God is like a what? Double-edged sword, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to penetrate as far as the marrow and the intentions of the heart, right? But you have all this figurative language in there. you got the bowls and the trumpets and, and you have the plagues, and you have the beast, and you have the ten horns, and you have the little horn coming out of, and then replaces three of the horns. And you read this, and, and it just, it's overwhelming to study this. Now, anyone who studies this, I believe, must go very humbly, and whatever opinion or conclusion you form, hold it with grace and humility. And by all means, don't immediately build up a, 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 a resistance or a bias against someone who may not necessarily arrive at that same specific understanding of how it's all going to work out. Because it doesn't necessarily mean they're a quote-unquote liberal because they understand it certain passages more figuratively rather than literally. All right? Now, I had to learn that the hard way. Because, and I say that because this is one of the lessons that I've learned. And I went, when I was going through seminary, I was, I really got arrogant about some things and kind of fell into that trap. 
And um, one of the best uh, lessons that I ever had was when I had this whole neat little package in my mind of how the end times were going to be and how it all was going to work out. And then I sat down with one of my professors that did not necessarily share that particular view. And he took me at one wall and down the other. And I didn't change my view, but I did understand then of this man that I respected greatly. That he wasn't just flying off the wall in how he understood some of the very same things that I was looking at, but I just understood him differently. Now, I'm holding my hand, and the reason I say this is because this is a Baptist church. We're part of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so we have some Baptist history, if you will. In this hand right here, I have the Baptist faith and message. This is one that we held to for, for many, many years. And then this right here is the one that caused all the controversy, most recent one, because we actually tweaked with the Baptist faith and message. We added some things. And for some, this is like right in here, you know, in the Word of God. Lo and behold, we added some things on the family in the Baptist faith and message, which, by the way, I agree with totally. But anyways, what does it say about last things? Are you ready? Now, this is, we don't have creeds, but this is about as close as you get to it in Baptist circles. And what does it say in the Baptist faith and message? Are you ready? God, in His own time and in His own way. <laughs> don't you love that? Will bring the world to its appropriate end, according to His promise. Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised and Christ will, be, will judge all men in righteousness. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell, the place of everlasting punishment. The righteous in their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. That's it. It's got a bunch of scripture references under there. In fact, I was honest, it doesn't even have Daniel in there, which is really interesting and all. It's got some scripture references you can look up on your own, but that's all it says. No mention of the millennium. No mention of the uh, Battle of Armageddon. No mention of the, the, the trumpets. No mention of the bowls. No mention of the plagues. No mention about the tribulation. No mention about when the, uh, the, the, the rapture would take place. There's absolutely no mention of it in there whatsoever. You know why? Because it says even Baptists who believe that this is the absolute inerrant Word of God do not all understand every single thing falling into the same chronological order or meaning the same thing. So therefore, there is my big, long introduction to let myself off the hook so that no, not too much pressure will be put on me, that I'm not going to teach, and I don't, did not feel led, and I prayed about it every which way from Sunday, and I did not feel led to just simply teach you one particular chronological order. Because I believe in my heart of hearts, I believe there's something that, if you will, transcends that or supersedes just arriving at some chronological order. And that is in the very first verses for, you know, for that, that, um, that uh, pastor that had, you know, five chapters of Revelation uh, uh, memorize that. That's not impressive. I've got the first six uh, verses memorized. But if you'll uh, go ahead and turn to uh, chapter 1 and uh, read with me, follow along with me as I read out loud, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1. What is it? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show to His bondservants the things which must shortly take place. Now stop right there. For someone, there's a lot of interest in it. You can kind of, as you follow along with your outline here, there's a lot of interest in Revelation now, especially with the tsunamis that we've had, the earthquakes that we've had, uh, the troubles over in the Middle East when Israel then became, was once re again reestablished as a nation in 1948 and then all of the things that have happened over there and how the Arab nations are constantly coming against the nation of Israel. Uh, we see the, per the church, the persecution seems to be escalating in the world today. And so all these things going together, the reunification of Europe and the fact that they're trying to, or they have gone to a common currency and all that, you know, all these things. And when you hear bits and pieces, hey, I think that was mentioned in the, in Revelation and how does that all fit in? And of course, uh, several years ago when Hal Lindsey came out with his book, uh, The Late Great Planet Earth, you know, that wrote, brought a lot of attention to the end times and so forth. <clears throat> so there's an increased interest in all of this. And as we're looking at this, someone once said many times you need to, uh, to properly interpret the times is to have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other and be looking at it and how it's all playing out. 
And, and, and so there's this increased interest in all of this. But some will look at Revelation and say, you know what, it's too hard, it's too difficult to understand, I don't want to read it, and so therefore, because I can't understand it, that's for professors and, and, and you know, those kind of people to, to look at and for them to study and all that. Basically, with me, I, I don't mind how it all works out and it's just too much for me. And so you just completely avoid Revelation. Then you've got others that study Revelation and they study it so intently that they become, they, they, they get tunnel visioned. And everything's got, it just fits into this neat little package. And well, that's just so obvious and that's the way it's supposed to go. And this is what it means. And anyone who deviates from that or anyone who's not, doesn't see it exactly that way, they're intolerant of them or they're quote unquote liberal. Now, let me tell you quickly, a liberal, a true liberal will look at the word of God and says, well, yeah, that's what it says. The word of God it clearly says this. The problem is, I just don't believe it. I don't believe the Word of God. You see, that's a true liberal liberal that doesn't believe the Word of God. But someone who does, but just understands it in, in, in a unique way, that's a whole different situation. So some people can become tunnel vision. But then others can study it, and they, they want to study it, and they form their own conclusions, but then they also hold those views with grace and humility and leave room, for, and, and especially dialogue with others that don't necessarily see it that way. But why should we study the book of Revelation? Why? Why should we study it? It's right there, verse 1. Because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants. That's it. That makes it important right there. Because it is showing us something about Jesus Christ. And, and Revelation, just like Leviticus, has something to show us about the character of God and how he works and what he can do and what he does in our lives. So all of God's word is important. Now, not every passage of scripture will be equally as, as practical or, or pertinent in your life at any given time. But it's all important and it's all worth studying. Let's read on. Look what it says. Verse uh, 2. Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all. And he's talking about bondservant John. He's talking about himself. Um, God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. All right? So right there it says, the person who reads and studies it and heeds the things that we see in here and that we read in here, he will be blessed. Well, listen. And I'd say, well, how am I going to bless? How am I going to be really, really blessed if I just, maybe if I do arrive at some complete understanding of the four horsemen? How, I mean, how's that really going to bless my life? Well, it may not be that passage on the four horsemen that may be the tremendous blessing in your life. It may be in the chapter when it's talking about the, the seven churches and the problem that those churches had in the time of John that John would be addressing with those churches. Because let me tell you, I do believe that they were seven literal churches in John's day. And uh, I, and we, like I said, we couldn't quite get the PowerPoint working uh, today. Uh, but I know that Mark, and if he, if he decides to show you this, which I guess since I'm putting, letting the cat out of the bag, now you can ask him about this, but he was actually on the island of Patmos and he's got some incredible pictures that he's going to be showing you. So I didn't want to just pull some pictures off the internet and give you some pictures because they're not going to be able to compare to the ones that Mark has. But there were seven churches in Asia Minor, and I believe that there were seven literal churches. But I also believe that as you look at those seven literal churches, you can find every church that's ever been somehow in those churches. You can find churches that have been doctrinally sound and nobody ever questioned their doctrine, like the church in Ephesus. But they'd lost or left their first love. And they were no longer passionate about Jesus Christ. You can find a church like uh, Laodicea that had become lukewarm and uh, thought they were really something special, thought they were really rich. And yet God's assessment was, you don't even understand your poverty and you don't understand how blind you really are. So see, right there is value and there is blessing right there as, as you read just even in those first few chapters God's work and say, look, wake up. Because just like those churches, if they didn't repent or if they didn't change their ways, 
The one who walked in the midst of the lampstands would come and remove the lampstand, which was another way of saying removing his blessing, removing his spirit. And that church would then become basically empty spiritually. Is that me? Would, would become eventually empty spiritually. The same thing can happen today. So even if those churches were first century churches, this thing can still happen in the 21st century to any church who forgets what the main thing really is all about. So there's value and we can be blessed. Now, let's look here at the author. Who is the author? Well, it's quite obvious, but even though even this has been questioned, but uh, John is the most likely candidate. First of all, it says in verse 1, his bondservant, John. It also says it in verse uh, 4, I believe, Uh, doesn't it? Right there, I'm not seeing it, but I know it's in there. There's John. Yeah, John, the very first word. That's why I didn't see it. Uh, John to the seven churches. I think also in verse 9, I, John, your brother. And then I think if you go to 22, chapter 22, you'll see it mentioned again. In verse uh, verse 8, and I, John. Also, it was the, uh, John was the one that the early church uh, held to as being the writer of Revelation, or the, the one that received Revelation. And then also um, Domitian, even though the persecution could have happened at the latter part of Nero, or it could be under Domitian's reign, probably Domitian. But um, it, Domitian was the one... Nero just executed people. He just loved to see people die. Domitian would uh, exile people. And so they, they believed it was under the exile of Domitian um, that John went to the Isle of Patmos. So there's the reason why we think that John uh, obviously is the writer. Plus, a lot of the words are the same as the fourth gospel, which a lot of the words that were used in the fourth gospel are unique to the fourth gospel. Things like uh, the lamb, the logos, tabernacling with us, those sort of things as you see in your outline. So there's evidence to look. When you look at the, at the epistles of John, John, the fourth gospel, and Revelation, you see some of these transcending uh, ver, uh, words and phrases that were used, which indicates that it was uh, the, the same man, the same author. Okay, let's move on to now the date. What about the date? Well, what, it could have been from 68, somewhere around 68 A.D. to the early 90s A.D., probably the early 90s A.D., once again under the uh, reign of, of Domitian. And there was a lot of persecution that was going on. So see, if you think about this, and if we turn back to the first, um, uh, the first uh, chapter, if you think about this, what do the words set up? Imagine now, John is the one that's received this revelation. And John has had contact, of one, contact with, uh, to one degree or another with those seven churches. The, peop- the Christians are under intense persecution at that time. And so he's receiving a revelation and he's going to be giving these, uh, these words to these people. Number one, encouraging them to stay faithful where they've, been sta- where they've been faithful. Because if you remember the words to the seven churches, each one of them, the Lord would give them a commendation and then he would give a condemnation. In other words, he'd say, okay, he'd always start with these are the things you're doing right. And he'd go through these things. That, and only two of the churches really kept on doing things that were right. But he would say, this is what you're doing right, and this is where I have a problem with you. Okay, So even under that, those churches that were under all that persecution, John was going to deliver these words, and these letters were going to be sent around to them to say, look, you're doing some things right, hang in there, keep doing it, but here's some things you need to be mindful of, and here's some things you need that needs to be corrected. So see, even under persecution, the Lord still expected His people to stay what? Faithful and to trust Him. Now for me, that's significant. That's significant. When you go back and you read Matthew chapter 24, you'll see that the the Lord even said that during a tribulation, some say, well, it was the tribulation. Some say, no, it was a tribulation. And a tribulation is different from the tribulation and all that sort of thing. But even as you look in chapter 24, in fact, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to just go from memory. Let's turn back there. Hold your place in Revelation and look back in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. This is the Olivet Discourse that Jesus was giving to His disciples because they had asked, look, when, what's going to bring about the end of this age? Which, not to just fill you up with all these key words and significant words, but that's another one, this age. Okay, as you study this on your own and you arrive at your own conclusions, that's a significant word at this age. 
But he goes back and he says, look, in verse, uh, I believe it is verse 20, he's talking about these perilous times that were going to be coming after the abomination of desolation that Daniel writes about. And uh, we know that even during the intertestamental times, there was the Antiochus Epiphanes who came into the temple and defiled the temple and sacrificed the pigs in the temple. And there's this big, huge war that was going on. And so, you know, how does that fit into the grand scheme of things and all? But during these perilous times, and if these are in the future, and Jesus is the one telling this, and so he's not yet been crucified... And he's not yet uh, ascended to the Father, but he's warning them of obviously something that's going to happen in the future, right? So he's saying the abomination of desolation has to be in the future. So it couldn't have been necessarily, you know, Antiochus Epiphanes. It's going to be sometime in the future, okay? Now, he says what? For then, verse 21, for then there will be a great tribulation, tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever shall. See, that seems like the, that's the big one. Okay, that's the big T. Verse 22. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. Now that's interesting because it doesn't say that those days will not come. It does say that those days will be cut short. In other words, even in the midst of which... It seems to indicate the big tribulation, because he says there's not going to be another one like it, that even there, that Jesus is saying that the elect are going to experience some tough times. Because it came right chronologically looking at it. Now, and again, let me just say, that's part of the problem. Sometimes when you just look at everything chronologically, sometimes you can kind of get yourself in a bind because I think sometimes there's an overlapping... In fact, if you think of the first two chapters of Genesis, uh, you'll see an example of that where he kind of covers everything and he talks about when man and woman was created and then he goes to chapter 2 and it seems like he's going back and covering in more detail what he had already covered, you see? So sometimes you've got some of that where later on some things are covering in more detail what has already been explained. But if you just look at it chronologically, it looks like, well, okay, it seems like some things are repeating themselves. But anyways, it seems like after the Great Tribulation, what does he say? That his elect, if not for the sake of his elect, it, it, that it was cut short. It was cut short. So, without getting into a big debate of whether or not, and maybe for some of you this may be uh, disturbing, and this may be uh, hard to take, but one of the views, conservative view, taking the Bible literally, understands that it is a possibility that the church could go through the tribulation. I'm not going to tell you what I think. But they do think you could go through the tribulation. Well, here's the thing that we got to understand, folks. If you have the view where, no, wait a minute, I'm out of here. Rapture, 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 I'm out of here. I'm not around. I'm hoping for the rapture. I'm watching the signs, I'm watching the news, I keep CNN on, and buddy, I know it's coming close, but I, when rapture happens, I'm there. Okay? What you have had from the Lord Himself say, if, heaven forbid, that the church goes through the tribulation or a part of the tribulation, you have the words of Christ right there that says that for the sake of the elect, there will be a covering, there will be a protection, and you will be cared for. If you remember in... in, in, um, in um, which, by the way, where are we? Oh, okay. Uh, in Egypt, whenever the nation, the Hebrew nation, uh, when the death angel came, or death came and took the firstborn, if you remember that. There was a plague that was all around them. But what was happening to the Hebrews when the plagues and all this devastation was happening? What was happening to the Hebrews? They were protected, right? In the midst of that, they were protected. When they followed and did what God said to do, and they put the, they sacrificed the lamb and put the, the blood on the the, uh, the, the heading of the door and the doorposts and all, if they did what the Lord said to do, then when death came and took the firstborn, whether Hebrew or Egyptian, if the blood was not there, then that de- the, 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 the uh, uh, death would pass over their house and they would be spared, right? In the midst of 
if you will, wrath, they were preserved. That's the hope I have. See, here's the deal. Um, If I believe, if I believe that the church is going to go through the tribulation, if that's the view that I hold, and the church could possibly go through the tribulation, or part of the tribulation, whatever, and I wake up one morning and find out that the trumpet is sounding and there's Jesus in the clouds and all of a sudden all the saints are rising, the graves are opening up and we're going to meet Him in the air. I guarantee you I will not be complaining because my particular understanding of revelation was not met. I will not be complaining. I will not be saying, wait a minute, no, 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 no. I had this neat package. This is not the way it's supposed to work out. Wait, this is messing up my system. I have my integrity. I have my reputation. I've stood up in front of people and I've said this and it's not working out that way. I will not be complaining. You know what I'm going to be doing? Y'all quit, better hurry. You know, I'm up there. What are y'all waiting on? This is awesome. I'm going to be all about that. If I do believe that there's going to be a rapture and that the church will be caught up with the Lord in the air, because it certainly seems to indicate that. But if for some reason that I've just not understood some little twist and I find out that we're going to go through some tough times, I still have God's promise that He'll preserve me. And I'm not going to get all mad and say, God, wait a minute, you didn't do it the way I thought you were going to do it. Because it's His time. It's His story, not mine. And so then, you know what? I guarantee you will happen that if that happens, you know what I'll do is I'll go back to God's Word and say, oh, there it is right there. Why couldn't I see it? It's just as obvious as can be. You see, like the old saying goes, Hindsight is always twenty twenty, And you look back and you see, wait a minute. Okay, I understand now. So, as we talk about the day, we talk about the different interpretations. Look there on your sheet and you'll see that there's four basic schools of thought in understanding the book of Revelation. Now, let me say this too. All of them cannot be right. There's only one that's right. But there are four schools of thought in how to approach Revelation, how you look at it. First of all, you have the preterist view. Preterist just simply means, or pre, preterist, past, and viewing that all of the events that we see in Revelation and also an understanding in light of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, 8 and following, and then Matthew chapter 24 and all the other, Ezekiel and all the other uh, passages of Scripture that go in along with Revelation, they see is that this was a description of the events that happened in the day of John, mostly under the persecution of the, of the uh, uh, Roman Empire and, and so forth, okay? So it happened past. Then the second one that you have there that you see is the historist. Historists is they believe that it is basically a picture. Revelation is a picture of history and how it fits in with God's plan in the church. So in other words, you look at the the bowls and the trumpets and all those things, is that basically those are describing specific events that's happening and how it comes against God's plan for the church and how God works in His church in counteracting those things. So they have the history perspective. The preterist is the past. History is looking at it all. It's all in, 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 in the order of God's history and how it works and relates to the church. Thirdly is the idealist. And the idealist is that everything is allegorical. It's all symbolic of something. Everything. There's not going to be any millennial reign. There's not going to be any little tribulation. In fact, uh, most would say, well, the millennial reign is happening right now. You know, that the millennial reign is happening uh, as we speak. We're part of the millennial reign. Christ is on His throne and so forth. So they would see it all as idealism and it's all symbolic. Now, still believe, once again, that God's Word is truth and, 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 is, and is not contradicting itself and can still hold to a high view of Scripture, but just simply believe, believe that it's all symbolic. I mean, just look at the symbolic uh, language itself. Then the final one is the futurist. And the futurist, the view interprets the events of Revelation, especially from chapter 4 on, to be the future and provides a, chron- a chronology of the end times. And I will say this, is that last one is probably the more prevalent one. The last one is probably the the more obvious one. The last one is going to be the one like John MacArthur would hold to, that Hal Lindsey would hold to, Jack Van Impey would hold to. uh, And that is definitely and probably most prevalent in the church. And when we talk about in terms of um, the uh, 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 abomination of desolation and we talk about the Antichrist and we talk about then the tribulation, we talk about the mark of the beast and then we talk about the rapture and then we talk about the millennial reign and then the, the second coming of Christ and all those sort of things. 
the, when those are talked about and how they follow a chronological order, that's going to be more of that last view, which is, called, is the futurist view. So that's, the, that's definitely the more prevalent one, the more common one. Okay? So, but let's look at the transcending, and this may not be a good way to title it, but I just put the transcending points of chapter 1 because I believe... With all things considered, I believe that these are the essential things and so important to remember about the book of Revelation or as we, as we study the Revelation uh, with grace and humility. First of all, the reality of blessing for then and now. The reality of blessing for then and now. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. One of the things that you're going to see in the book of Revelation is where there's going to be correction, there's going to be training, there's going to be reproof that's going to be happening. You just see that in the seven churches. God is going to be commending that which brings pleasure to Him and what He wants to see in His church, but He's going to be pointing out those things that is a serious problem. And if it's not corrected, the church will die. That local body of believers, that church, will just cease to be powerful, will be, cease to be vital, and it'll, and it'll just basically pass away or become uh, irrelevant when he removes the, the lampstand from that church. So there it is, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. It all kind of overlaps as we talk about that. We're also going to see that, you know what? This life is hard. And whether we're talking about the tribulation... See, here's the, here's the deal, folks, and this is what I really want to encourage you. Once again, not telling you what I personally believe on this view, but I do want to encourage you this is that if we are in Christ right now and we look and we see something on the TV or we see something and we get something in the newspaper, we see something on the Drudge Report or whatever it else might be about this new thing that's coming out. We've been hearing this for years now where they can put a microchip underneath your skin and all of your information, all that sort of thing, you know, is on there. And then we say, could that be the mark of the beast? Well, if it is, we're in trouble because now we're getting into the tribulation. Right? So what does that tell us? Oh, no! Either we got left behind or it's not working out like we thought or what's the deal? Okay? Or we can just simply look at this and say, you know what? Christ said that I'm going to be an overcomer because that's another phrase that's used over and over. For those who overcome. Those who overcome. Regardless of what we face in this life, once again, we can be corrected and trained in righteousness, even from the book of Revelation, because as we see how God is going to work through history here, the one thing that is consistent is that He will not abandon His elect. He will not abandon those who belong to Him, no matter what. He will not turn... What did He say in Matthew chapter 28? Lo, I with you always, even to the end of the what? Age. Right? So you know what? I'm not so overly concerned about that. Why am I not going to take a chip under my skin? Because it's a stupid idea. That's why. I don't have to find it and wonder out six six. Okay, what's the serial code on this? Six six six. I don't have to see that. It's just a dumb idea. And you know what? We're not alone because anytime they start mentioning about that, what do you see? You people see people come out of the woodwork. I'm not taking any chip under my skin. That sort of thing. We get a little bit nervous about you know just satellite uh, uh, the satellites that we've got and all the the monitoring, monitoring systems and all. You know, it's just simply an invasion of privacy. So I'm not saying we discount this at all. I'm just saying we approach it with humility and saying. God, what are the things that you want to show me through this rather than just forming a strict chronology so that any day I know what's really going to happen and how it's all going to happen? So we see right there in, uh, in, the, uh, in the first chapter, let me turn back there to, to Revelation, we see where he says in verse 4, beginning in verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. Now we're seeing the character of Christ and, and it's telling us something about Jesus. What is who Who is or who was? He's been in the past. Why? Because He's eternal, right? That's pretty clear to understand. There's not a lot of figurative, symbolic language there. It's not talking about swords coming out of the mouth and eyes on fire and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty straightforward. And what does He say? From Him, this is a word from Jesus, from Him who is and who was 
and who is to come. Now we know when we're reading this, because when this was delivered to John, Jesus Christ has already been crucified. He's already been laid in the tomb. He's already been resurrected. He's already met with some 500 folks. He's already then ascended to the right hand of the Father. And then what does it say? So all that's already happened. And what does it still say? Who is to come? This I know. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And for the person might say, well, you know what? If you don't have this particular view that there's going to be a rapture, then where's the urgency? Where's the imminency? Where's the... Where's the, 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 the charge to really take this seriously? Because you never know. And here's my answer. The fact that I can go get in my car and pull out on Student Airline and get hit broadside by an 18-wheeler, I better be ready. I better be ready. There's the imminency for me. There's the urgency for me. You see? So it's not this thing of, well, you know what? You've got time. You've got time. Because it, it, it hasn't gotten as bad as it's going to get yet. So you've got some time, but you better not wait forever because you never know. What I say to anybody, you don't know if the, you're going to live the, the rest of this day. You better do business with God. Because when that's over, it's over. No redos, no mulligans. It's over. And you better be ready. So there's the urgency for me, okay? But I do know because it's very clear right there in the first few verses of this book where he says, who is, who was, and who is to come. He will be coming again. All right. So what are some of the other trends? You see the outline there on the revealing of Jesus for who he is. First of all, the deliverer you see in verse 1a. He is the deliverer. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, who bore witness of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. For the time is near. There's a sense of urgency right there. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now there's a lot of debate about exactly what that is. Is that the the, the pastors, is that the spirit, the whole, you know, what, what is exactly, and we won't get into that today because it's kind of, is, is speculation. But, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the faithful witness. If John says that this message is from Jesus and he says that he will come again, Jesus is a faithful witness. What he says will happen. The firstborn of the dead. The firstborn of the dead, I have in your notes there on C, the firstborn of the dead, compare this with Colossians 1.18. How did the Apostle Paul refer to him? The, first de- the firstborn of the dead. He was the first to be resurrected in that sense. And he is our hope because he was resurrected from the dead. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. So once again... Who brought the revelation to John? Jesus. Who was the revelation about? Jesus. What is it revealing about him? These things. That he was the deliverer. He was a faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's a ruler of the king of the earth. He released us from our sins because our hope is found in him. Verse 6, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priests, to His God and Father, to Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's worthy of praise. Also says the one who um, is uh, the eternal one, as we see there in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. In other words, the beginning and the end. Who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now Jesus is saying that about Himself. So He's eternal. And then finally on your outline there, the one who stands in the center of his church, the one who stands in the center of his churches, verses 12 through 13. Um, and I turned to see the voice, and we already read this, but let's read it again. I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle, and his head and his hair were white, for feet like burnished bronze. So, in the 21st century, what are the things that we can already learn 
from Revelation. Just what we've talked about right now. Number one, it was a revealing of Jesus. It was a revealing of Jesus. It was His revelation. It was revealing of Him, His character, who He was, how He was going to work. The emphasis of Revelation is not to just figure out a chronological time so that we can say, okay, based on what I'm seeing, it seems like it's getting short, so you know, I guess we better start getting serious about God. No, you better be serious about it right away because there's a sense of urgency right there. What have we learned? He's going to come again. There's, no, uh, am, uh, there's nothing ambiguous about that at all. He is coming again. He once was. He was in John's day, as he said. And remember, now that was really encouraging to those early churches, right? And once again, it was just another word of encouragement because it says he was and he is. Jesus had already been, uh, had ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now once again, he's saying, but he's here now. He's with us now. He's not forsaken us. He's true to his word, what he said to his disciples who said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And even though we're going through this brutal persecution. And here's another thing why we should be, I think, very, very humble. And, 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 and um, like one of my seminary professors used to say, he was my uh, theology professor, whenever we'd get to an issue and we'd ask him something that was kind of tough, and, and he just said, you know, basically, I don't know, uh, I'm not sure, this is what I think. And he would say, I'm not going to put my feet in cement on it. And that's what he says. He's like, you know what, I, this is what I think is going to be, but I'm going to leave some room here, some wiggle room, because I don't know, I'm not God. But here's the thing that I've always struggled with. Think about the persecution that's going on in China right now. Think about the persecution that went on behind the, uh, the uh, Iron Curtain. Think about all that had happened during the Cold War. It would be real hard for me, an American, to go up to some of those pastors that had been beaten and tortured for their faith and told simply, if you simply deny Christ, you can go free. If you stop meeting with your church, you can go free. It would be real, it'd be hard to go for me to go to one of those pastors in China where they have to meet secretly because if it's known by the government, then, then they'll be persecuted. And they can barge in at any time and they can be so persecuted and tortured. It'd be hard for me to go to some of those Christians in the Sudan that are being uh, persecuted because of, of their faith and so forth. It'd be hard for me to go up to one of them and say, and see everything that's being going through, having arms chopped off and being burned and tar poured on all over them. It's hard for me to go up there and say, boy, and just think this isn't even as bad as it's going to get. I might think that. I might think, you know, this is so brutal, I can't imagine. I can't even fathom what it's going to be. I may think that. But I am now talking face to face with someone who's been as close to death as you can possibly get for their faith. And you know what they could say to me? What I see right there? I don't want to go through tribulation, but if I do... I've already had everything you can imagine done to me now. I've already been in a place where I can't buy food or, or whatever. This, every single thing that we see is going to be characteristic of the tribulation. They could say, I've, that's where I've been living. So whether it's there or here or whatever, this is what that person is going to be able to teach Scott Riling, who wants to teach them something about revelation and how it's all going to work out. They'll look at Scott Riling and say, let me tell you about God's grace. Let me tell you about how He's been faithful to me. And if I come with this real arrogant attitude about it, I will be ashamed in their presence. Because you're looking at somebody who hasn't even begun and doesn't even know what suffering for my faith is really even what about. What's about? Oh, I've had some people that made fun of me. Please, that's not persecution. And I'm not one that's really signing up for it either. I don't want it to happen. That's why I feel like we should get our act together in this country before it does happen. But I'm not welcoming it. I'm not saying, oh, well, that made me more spiritual. But I do know this is the word of God. The, trans, the, 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 the transitional uh, point is that he's going to be faithful and he will not forsake us because he's the faithful witness. He's the eternal one. He's been, He is, and He will come again. And however He works that out, which I have my own idea, but, you know, I'm going to leave it to Him. And however He works it out, guess what? Scott Rodney's going to say, it's okay with me. It's okay with me. 
Final thing, responding to Jesus because of who He is. Christ is walking in the center of His church still today. Trust Him. Christ is still speaking through His Word. Listen to Him. He's still speaking through Revelation. You will be blessed if you study Revelation. How do I know that? It said it. I take God at His Word. It said it. You'll be blessed if you study and heed what the Spirit says to you through the study of Revelation. Finally, Christ is still personally encountering us by His Spirit. Therefore, worship Him. Worship Him. Now, I've got one more week to go. and You might say, well, what's left for Him to talk on if He's going to be so vague? (laughs) Come back next week. We'll find out because I've got some things we may delve into. And actually, that last point is kind of a transitional thing to next week. One of the things is I was reading through the book of Revelation again in preparing for this time of study are the number of times that I saw where John would say, and the four creatures and the 24 elders fell down and worshipped Him. Think about that. We might talk about that next week. We might kind of go off on that. But um, it is valuable. It is worth your time to study the book of Revelation. As we've just seen just a few things here, we'll get into some other things next week. All right? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you again for your love for us. I thank you that you are the eternal one. And Lord Jesus, you have been, you are today, and you will come again. You will always be. And Lord, no matter how you work out the final days, and I just thank you, Lord, for giving us insights and glimpses into what lies ahead and some of the things that we will encounter. Lord, we already know because you've told us that we will encounter tribulation. We will go through tribulation. You told your disciples that. You've told us that. You've told us time and time and time again. So therefore, Lord, we are without excuse to say that it would catch us by surprise. You have told us we will go through tribulation. And so we, we rest in you because we know that even when we go through tribulation or we go through difficult times, that you will not forsake us. You will not leave us. Lord, you've also told us that you will come again for us. And whether that's in the clouds or how that is in the clouds or whether your feet actually touch this earth, Lord, I rest in that fact that you will come again for me and for us that are in you. So, Lord, I pray that you will take these truths and drive them home into our hearts that when we leave this place, even in our study today, you will take the things that we've read from your holy word And you will encourage us, just as you encourage those first century Christians, that you will correct us and reprove us. And our church, just like you did those that first century, those first century seven churches. And Lord, that you would call us to fall down and worship you with reckless abandon. This is what we ask in Jesus' name.